The Neo Reality Entertainment brand expands with a relaunch of the Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News Talk. Your host, Eric Brown, gives his insights and thoughts in the ever-expanding news world of comic books, professional wrestling, gaming, TV, and movies. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa. Today's edition of Neo Reality Collective is brought to you by Anchor.fm, a free distribution service podcasting hosting platform that allows you to record your podcast on your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so much more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor.fm app or go to Anchor.fm to get started today. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to Neo Reality Collective. I am your host Eric Brown, and we're back again with the podcast. A uh, lot of news going on this week. Uh, we're only in the first half of the week. I must, I must really stress that. And yeah, big news happened. A lot of TV announcements, a lot of movie announcements, production, video games, especially in the world of wrestling as well. Let's get right into things and talk about everything. Baldur's Gate 3 will officially leave early access and be released in 2023. With the studio announcing that it will leave early access and release in 2023, they share the news during the 2022 D&D Direct in a dev diary that was focused on the journey so far. While it features some glimpses of the game, a typhling cosplay, and a doctor who may or may not be a doctor, the big news from the video was the confirmation that the Baldur's Gate 3 will not make it out of early access in 2022 and will instead come out in 2023. Stating, uh, by the nine hills, we've added a lot of great stuff already, and there's more where that's to come. Coming from, so join us in early access on our journey to Baldur's Gate 3 or come along in 2023 when the game releases. In February, the, the head of the studio said that 2022 would be the last full year of development, and but he left some wriggle room as if there was still a chance it could make it before the our calendars moved to 2023. Now, the tw- chance of a 2022 release is no more. The early access was released back in 2020, featured a wealth of content, and the early reviews, it came out saying that it was already exciting turn-based combat and some genuine storytelling greatness, but it would be worth waiting for the full thing with fresh eyes. So, yeah, like, I get why early access is an important thing for people, especially when you're trying to regage and assess everything. I really do get it. I, I really do. Um... It also could be like, what if it never comes out, or the studio closes before it comes out, and then we're just left with a unfinished game? Yeah, it, it's been that thing I've always had a scared issue with. That's why I've never bought an early access game. So, yeah, but luckily, hopefully things work out, and we get Baldur's Gate 3 in full content with hopefully more DLC down the road. But we'll have to see again. Like I said, everything can change between now and 2023. Provided the world doesn't blow itself up, but that's a different subject because everything depresses me again. Along with things, uh, Halo Infinite has released a roadmap, and I have immediately lost faith. So, yeah. 
they have a roadmap in production which features a breadth of content Let, let's go with that uh lone wolves featuring in their 2022 roadmap the lone wolf season will feature a catalyst and breaker new maps king of the hill land grab last spartan standing uh, let's see, new $100, not $100, new 100 tier paddle pass, fractured entrenched, campaign network co-op, late August August target. Uh, let's see, also fractured entrenched will come out between May 24th to the 30th. The campaign network co-op is late August. And narrative events called Interference and Alpha Pack, they will release on May 3rd to 16th. And Alpha Pack with July 19th to August 1st. Campaign Mission Replay, late August. Forge Open Beta, September. And Quality of Life Improvements. Also added will be Season 3, which will start on November 6th. New Battle Pass again. New maps, new modes, new sandbox items, new narrative events, new fracture event. Forge Open Beta, Quality of Life, Campaign Split, Screen Co-op. Timing to be determined on that. So, yeah... Okay, I know there's a plan here, and 343 decided to forego, apparently for Forge, large-scale formal flighting program and go right into open beta. Yeah. And once it's launched, it will not go away and will continue to evolve and grow over time. Season 2 will feature the new events and everything, and when I also saw the roadmap, I'm also worried, like... Yeah, maybe it should have been best if they, at the very least, delayed it for another six months because they could make it to May, release it in May. I know it goes against the system they had planned, but it would have probably been best if it came out in May. Hell, you can make August the argument. But you only had, like, one shot and you kind of blew it. If they charged us for this, this would have really made people mad. Like, really bad. Also coming out on the Netflix side of things, Season 4 of Stranger Things set to come out soon. It's said to be the biggest jet for the series, and the cost is apparently also big per season, per episode. But please know that this is per episode. The much-anticipated fourth season will cost, for each episode, I must remind you all, $30 million. As reported by the Wall Street Journal, this news comes via a long article about Netflix's shift to being more cost-conscious after years of prioritizing growth over cost efficiency. Stranger Things was used as an example of a show that needs to needs under-the-radar relatively low-cost hits to balance out its massive price tag. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and, and I must stress... Uh, this this will make Stranger Things season four the most expensive TV show in his season in history. It would put it above the ten million dollar per episode budget of Halo the TV series. Game of Thrones' final season was fifteen million per episode. Mandalorian was fifteen million per episode, and twenty five million per episode budget set to accompany Disney Plus's Marvel TV shows. While it may not be quite as expensive as the reported. Uh, as the reported $465 million production budget of the Prime Video's Lord of the Rings series. Oh, man. 
Considering it's going to end soon after season four and five, eh, I'm they did say their spinoffs in the potential in the potentialness, but man, that amount of money. <sighs> so insane these days how much TV's gotten more expensive as they shift more away from video from movies to longer form content like what was once a simple movie could now be stretched down to like three seasons worth of TV and also a way to expand stuff and give scope that you couldn't do in a two to three hour movie unless you did a director's cut which uh, Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League got or Lord of the Rings which were already bloated movies when they came out in theaters. So, there's been an update. A YouTuber, Sekiro Dubai, has uploaded a video that seemingly reveals the Coliseum's hidden sites of Grace, location name, and even battling NPCs, a data miner who got an inaccessible Coliseum arena to actually start working. So, yeah. So details came out, the video shows a giant lion fighting a knight in the Coliseum, whose placeholder names were simply Old Lion of Arena and Gladiator Large, respectively. Keep dreaming big from software. Sekiro Dubai also uncovers a nameless site of grace inside the area, and digging through Elden Ring's network test files reveals a Stormvale Coliseum, meaning this one will likely just be Lindale Coliseum. The second unfinished side of Grace can be found further inside the area that was named internally and therefore unofficially as Return Point Bonfire Reception Desk, with bonfires being the Dark Souls equivalent of a side of Grace. Despite the new information, it's still unclear if the Coliseum spread across the Elden Ring's world or an abandoned portion of the game that simply didn't make the final cut, or if they're early versions of a potential DLC. The Coliseum is guarded by, MP by an NPC invader and another NPC sitting outside asking why they can't get in. The ritual shield talisman available outside the Coliseum states that, er that the arenas are remain of remains of a bygone era, showing that From Software definitely has a story for them in mind. DLC that takes the player back in time is also completely part of the common From Software games. The original Dark Souls does exactly that in Aterius of the Abyss, Bloodborne and follows suit with Old Hunters, and though not DLC, Sekiro features extensive sections that are set in the past. It would likely be a while from Software's comments on DLC, but given Elden Ring's success in the developer's history, an expansion is most likely. So, yeah, there's clearly content in there, and I would be kind of shocked if they never addressed this, but we'll have to see. Coliseum matches, let's get this going, and the fact that they have a story in there is pretty impressive. So, yeah, I definitely do think there is going to be a, a, a DLC content for that. So, anyways, uh... <laughs> Ubisoft, the Devil Corporation, that's definitely that's trying to that's still getting away with its awful things, uh, is reportedly being studied by private equity firms for with preliminary takeover interests. Anonymous sources told Bloomberg that several companies, including the world's biggest private equity firms, Blackstone Incorporated, KKR and Co., are considering a takeover. Ubisoft reportedly hasn't entered into serious negotiations with companies, however, and it's currently uncertain if it will and if the firms will pursue a takeover at all. Sources also told Kotaku that various aspects of Ubisoft's business have been audited in recent years in anticipation of a potential sale, though these audits are also fairly common for companies looking to be more profitable. Is it known how potential Activision 
acquisition of Ubisoft may affect these games, if at all, but current former Ubisoft employees also told the publish told Kotaku that the publisher is currently experiencing production issues, evidence several delay evidence by several delays, among other things. The combined combined with dipping stock prices, which fallen from $110 per share in 2018 to 41 today, will likely lead to a sale, the sources say. Oh no, I'm so shocked. Yeah, okay, whatever. So I wouldn't be surprised if Sony bought them. I really wouldn't. Like it's those. It's that kind of comment we have. I have. I, I, I like Sony bought Bungie. But if you wanted to, wanted to, if you, if Sony wanted to try and rival Activision Blizzard's purchase from 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 Xbox, I think Sony would try and go for Ubisoft if they can't get EA, especially. And please know that we're interesting the year where all the corporations are starting to gobble each other up now, since they've burned everything else to the ground. Disney purchased Fox for $71.3 billion and just shy of AT&T's purchase of Time Warner for $85.4 billion with, Acti- with Activision Blizzard purchase for $68.7 billion. Ooh, boy. And in fact, reports came out that Sony may have overpaid for Bungie, so that was pleasant. So, <laughs> it's... It is very interesting that Ubisoft might sell itself and hopefully kick out a whole bunch of horrible people, but that's a different matter. So, take over that what you will. We'll have to see in the coming weeks to see if anything happens. Also, the developers are currently pissed at Apple, because of course they are, because Apple says it will now remove games that haven't been updated, because of course they did. Oh man. Here's the problem. The complaints, which are understandable, will event that states the facts and around the idea that all games will eventually cease receiving further updates from as developers move on to other projects, but will possibly remain functional as from the point onwards. Apple's new policy sees swaths of classic games being removed simply due to having been released years earlier and not really been updated. Oh, God damn it. So, yeah, a developer known as Protopop Games is royally, royally pissed about it, saying that games can be completed objects, can exist as completed projects, and free updates aren't suitable for up- free, these free projects aren't suitable for updates or live service model. They're finished artworks from years ago. Oh, oh, Apple, why did you have to do this? Preservation in gaming and Apple saying F it. Speaking of that, Sony has announced that yes, we're going to have our own game preservation team. Yay! So yeah, so so someone named Garrett Friendly went Friendly went on Twitter and announced that today is my first day as a senior build engineer at PlayStation. 
and working as one of their initial hires for the newly created preservation team. Game preservation was my first career passion, so I'm excited that I get to go back to those roots. Yay. PlayStation Studios QA, Global QA Manager, or hired Fredly and said in a post recently about the same team that the day-to-day -day focus is on IP preservation for businesses and certain titles of today are to captured catalogs secured for the game industry of tomorrow. Oh, welcome to the world of tomorrow! Uh, yeah. Thank God we have emulators. So, Diablo Immortal, remember that joke? Uh, and how that happened? Uh, man, that was a disaster. Well, it's finally coming to PC, and will arrive as, as well as mobile, and it will arrive on both platforms on June 2nd. Whew! I really somehow don't care about this after everything that went down. So do you remember the Mummy? You know the 2017 Tom Cruise film that didn't, that was supposed to, uh, even though it was supposed to kickstart the plan for a Dark Universe series. Well, uh, that was a complete bomb, and the Mummy director came out and said it was probably the biggest failure of his life, even though the process helped him as a filmmaker. Saying as brutal as it was, and as many cooks in the kitchen as there were, I am very grateful for the opportunity to make those mistakes because it rebuilt me into a tougher person. It also rebuilt me to be a clever filmmaker. That has been a real gift. I feel those gifts all the time because I'm very clear now. When I have a feeling that doesn't feel right, I'm not quiet about it anymore. I will literally not proceed when I feel that feeling. So... Yeah. If only... I mean, they're trying to still go with this whole, this whole monster verse or the dark universe, but they don't really know how to do it well. Like they did do well with the Invisible Man, earning ninety-eight point three million on a budget of only seven million when it hit theaters in twenty twenty. So it probably could have earned more, but then the pandemic happened. And they're planning to even release a Dracula Jason character. Uh, Ryan Gosling-led film of The Wolfman and Bloomhouse's adaptation of The Thing's source novel. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he also worked on, um, premiered on Showtime on April 24th, uh, his latest movie, his latest small screen endeavor, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Uh, man. So, Take it that what you will. At least he's learned something from this and never will try hopefully make a kind of mistake again when it comes to the code many cooks in the kitchen. Meanwhile, Meta, a.k.a. Facebook, a.k.a. The Facebook, uh, they announced they will first open their first retail stores open in a month in California in early May. Their first hardware retail store and will open May 9th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. The idea is stores to allow users to get a hands-on experience with its products. Similar to Apple's retail stores, allow customers to interact and demo various products in the tech giant's ecosystem before buying. 
Well, let's hope it's not as cold calculating like the Apple stores. <laughs> oh, man. So anyways, I'm going to enjoy this on my Mac projects and whatnot and edit this later. So definitely, this is not me saying something. So, yeah, they've been trying to... Now they have retail stores, Facebook does. I'm still calling it Facebook. I don't care if it's called Meta. It's probably going to change its name back when everything blows up in their faces regarding the Metaverse and whatnot. So, yeah. There has been a report that went on a while back that said that Darth Maul was almost featured in the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi spinoff. However, the director, Deborah Chow, uh, says she believes that's not entirely actually the case. Saying, as long as I've been involved, we never had Darth, Vader, Darth Maul in any of it. Dave Filoni did a beautiful job telling that story already. So, yeah. And, and while the series will feature Darth Vader, that decision was not made lightly, where considering the story takes place that bridges the gap between the prequels and the original trilogy, she asked questions like, what is Obi-Wan's starting place, and what has he been, what's been important to him in this lot, in his life? Okay, he, he's protecting Luke. Is I don't want to be mean, but it just sounds like they don't seem to get what's going on I mean from, like Kathleen Kennedy came out and said that and I'm really not kidding that they didn't want to make the show too bleak and they wanted to have some optimism in it and I was like dude I mean dudette or whatever I'm pretty sure she's offended now um, if she ever saw this but you, you do realize Obi-Wan is in exile because everyone he knows and loves has been killed by the Empire and people he has loved in the past are dead and your response is to say it was too bleak to talk about. So you wanted to add optimism. Oh my god. Yeah, this is the thing that really annoyed me. I kind of wanted it to be bleak. I really did. Like, there's still the... You can still have hope in it with Luke and what's going to happen down the road, and then we're going to go back to being absolutely bleak and pointless when their sequel trilogy happens and everything's been negated. But it's supposed to be bleak. Like, this should be a story of a man trying to come to terms with everything as he deals with basically a threat to protect... Threats that protect... That endanger Luke and what he believes is the only hope for the galaxy... Instead, you're going to bring in Darth Vader, even though you can't do that because the rematch already happened in episode four. And it would be confusing because then Darth Vader would have probably figured out where he was because of the way Obi-Wan looks. And oh my God, this logic makes no sense. Anyways, before I get further in the rabbit hole, I, I just got to point this out. There was rumors at a time before the rewrites happened that they were going to bring in a Legends character named Ashed Hut. If I butchered that name, Ashed Hut, I, I think I butchered that name, I'm sorry, who is a Tusken Raider that was going to go after Luke and his family, the law, the, the, the Lars. Um, but there's just one particular thing about this character, Ashed Hut. Uh, <laughs> 
He was good. He in the Legends continuity is the future Sith Lord Darth Cryat. Cryat or Cryat. The leader of one Sith was almost canon, and that actually would have been interesting. But it was too bleak. Oh my god. This, like, this is the problem I had with Rebels. To me, right, like, besides the last season, the last half of season four, and the Ahsoka stuff, I felt the show was way too optimistic. And I felt like they should have, that they could have done what the Clone Wars did, but inverted. Whereas the Clone Wars started off light and had this, that had this clear cut portrayal: good guys versus bad guys, Jedi versus Sith, clones versus droids, Republic versus Separatists. But as the time, as the seasons went by, it got bleaker, it got darker, it got more shade of gray. The Jedi were becoming more corrupted, obviously. The Republic was declining in its in its government, and and rampant corruption was spreading throughout the galaxy beyond just the separatist movement and they were citing criminal activities but that's a different matter and then you had Darth Maul come in and everything got darker and darker and darker there was still optimism involved but this world was getting darker as it came closer and closer to what would become episode 3 Revenge of the Sith I felt and this is just my opinion I don't if you like Rebels you that's your right I felt Rebels should have started off being dark and then get to the optimism to really complete the transitional storytelling phase. If they had done that, I probably would have said the two series were masterpieces together, but Rebels to me had some some, a lot, some good elements, some good stuff, and then retcons happened that made me lose faith in that. Like the death of the Mandalorians in the most brutal, mean-spirited fashion possible, that makes makes Sabine even more of a monster in people, in the Mandalorian remnant's eyes. Oh god, that that was a bad day for everyone. But yeah, Darth Maul being in it, well, it would have been cool to see Ray Park again. I got why he could, why he was not going to be an Obi Wan Kenobi like they already did, unless they want to reinterpret it and say it's another interpretation of the duel. So, yeah. So, the Super Mario Brothers movie starring Chris Pratt, who's starring as Mario, because that makes sense. By Illumination Studios, so you know that's problematic already. It has been officially delayed to 2023 as Hollywood continues to suffer the effects of the coronavirus. Shigeru Miyamoto came out and said, This is Miyamoto, after consulting with the Chris-san. Okay. My partner at Illumination on Super Mario's Brothers film. We decided to move the global release to spring 2023, April 28th in Japan, and April 7th in North America. Miyamoto wrote, My deepest apologies, but I promise it will be well worth the wait. You're making it by Illumination. I don't have faith in this. So... Also, uh, in order to compound everything, Sony has announced El Muerto. What was El Muerto? Uh, okay. How do I say this? Um, very delicately. <laughs> Uh, 
Muerto is a Spider-Man spin-off film starring Bad Bunny, Marvel's first live-action Latino lead. Oh my effing god, who the hell is El Muerto? Oh god, how do I explain this delicately? In the comics, El Muerto is a superpowered wrestler who has had their mask and abilities passed down through the generations to become worthy. New wrestlers would need to prove themselves against El Dorado, oh, Juan Carlos Estrella Sanchez was one of the chosen descendants, but he was unable to fight El Dorado when his father, Marcus Estrada, presented him. As a result, Marcus sacrificed himself to save his son. Following the tragic death, El Dorado would give Juan Carlos 10 years to become stronger to face him again and earn the right to become El Muerto. Um, I mean, how do I say this delicately about El Muerto? It, this is the problem I'm going to say. I'm just going to say it. You want to know who El Muerto, how long El Muerto has been in the comic books? And, and this is set to premiere, set to come out in 2024, January 12th. They have currently tentatively planned. But apparently I read this. He's only been around since 2006. Yeah. I have no hope for this. From purely a unknown character, no one, I don't even know if anyone knew this character much. In fact, I'm thinking Bane more for this Latino based wrestler, but Bane is more. Venom, venomous with the venom poison in him and he's been around for decades so I was like is this like their version of Bane but like more different speaking of Venom uh, the next Venom Ghostbusters films have been officially announced yay the third Venom was confirmed by producer Amy Pascal saying we are, we are in the planning stations but right now we're focused on getting everybody to come and see No Way Home Boom, and all that. And there will be a new Ghostbusters movie. No release dates were given, but they confirmed in a season reel from Sony that they had a few seconds of Cra Craven the Hunter. Yeah, that, that happened. <laughs> but uh, there is one last piece of news for this last part. The third Spider-Verse film is going to be called Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse. Alongside revealing the crosses that across the, the Spider-Verse will have 240 characters, six universes, and the largest crew for an anime film. Oh my god, that's gonna be insane. Get ready for hijinks ensuing. It, it's pretty insane. It, it really, really is. To, to see that happen. It's insane. I can't believe it. And I'm looking forward to it. They announced that the third movie will come out and hijinks will ensue in ways you can never imagine. So, get ready. I I'm excited. 
But that's the Your Reality Collective first half of this of this episode. Stay tuned for this ad break, and we'll be back with you after these messages. Is and see you in a bit. We're back, everybody. We're finishing off this last half, and then we get ready for the last half of this week. PlayStation reportedly now requiring developers to create two-hour game trials. Part of the new initiative they're planning for premium subscribers. Going forward, any game that costs $34 or higher must have an accompanying game trial for Sony's subscription service that lasts for at least two hours. According to a new report from Game Developer, many studios received this news in a new update Sony's developmental portal, where reportedly not providing any previous communication about such a change. This new policy doesn't apply retroactively to our at all to PlayStation VR games. However, who plan to launch PlayStation games in the future will have to adhere to these new updated guidelines. Developers probably have up to three months from the release of their games to put out a time trial, and they are required to be available on PlayStation's subscription service at a minimum of a year. Custom game demos for the service will probably be considered, but it seems like Sony will only prove them on an individual base-by-base basis. Case-by-case basis. This new policy is also separate from the normal demos, and developers are still allowed to pursue initiatives like free-to-play weekends for all PlayStation owners. Sony announced its rebranded subscription service last month and unveiled three new tiers for the PlayStation Plus, set to launch in next month in Asian markets, including Japan on May 23rd, Japan's Steam Falls on June 1st, with the Americas and Europe's getting June 13th and June 22nd, and respectively. So... Yeah, part of this whole initiative is for them to compete with Game Pass and try and show, okay, this is what we got here. Okay, Game Pass has all this. We need to prove we have or something, too. And they chose the Steam route, sort of. Okay. So they're trying to show that they can be different, but we'll have to see how this all works out for everyone, thing, everyone else. So... Netflix will reportedly offer nearly 50 games by the end of 2022, according to an anonymous source at the Washington Post that the streaming platform is looking to explore game-based content opportunities from every direction, but sticking to mobile platforms for the time being. Currently have access to 18 games, meaning the plan to release around 30 more games within the next eight months. A few days prior to the loss of Netflix, I announced that a digital version of Exploding Kittens card game will arrive this year, of course, of, of course. After their day one after their day one day stock drop and forcing the service to cancel several animated series including Bone and Ro, Ro, Rodol's The Tweets, I don't know. Yeah, that, that was part of the whole thing that went down. And yeah, so yeah, bad things going on when that happened. So now they're planning to make 50, release about 20 or 30 games. So uh, good luck with that. Speaking of movies and projects, we at CinemaCon, it was officially announced that a sequel to Matt Reeves' The Batman, and with Rob Patterson and the crew back for another adventure. President Warner Brothers Pictures Group Chairman Toby Emmerich shared the news at CinemaCon 2022, and while nothing further was revealed as far as plot or release window, there is a sequel on the way. And the, saying more details will reveal, Matt Reeves came to help announce the Batman, saying more details will come will be revealed in the CinemaCon to come. If you uh, so, th- this is gonna be fun. No idea what I might make an analysis video about this, but we'll see uh, see if I can get anything in order. But it does involve what could be done for 
the Batman in a uh, certain boy wonder. That will be up on my YouTube channel, hopefully. Meanwhile, Jonah, a.k.a. Bronson Reed, as he was also known as in NXT, Jonah is working on Impact as, according to Fightful Select, on a pay-per-appearance deal, and New Japan is said to be the top dog's priority, though. Previously realized Impact was only a short-term deal and was signed for the promotion through the Rebellion pay-per-view. He faced PCO in a Monsters Ball match at the Sunday's TV tapings, but this was his final appearance in the Impact Zone remains to be seen. So, yeah. He's been a regular in New Japan since his debate in the promotion last year, and he has since performed Total Mass Destruction, TMDK, I believe, with Shane Haste in Japan's New Japan's United States shows, and they have aligned with Bad Dude Tito. So, Jonah's having fun. That's awesome. Meanwhile, as things continue, uh, Impact Wrestling offered Maria Canellis a short-term extension, but it's looking like it might be coming to an end her run there. With her husband Mike Bennett, Matt Taven, PCO, and Vincent as part of the Honor No More group. Eddie Edwards and Kenny have since joined the group. And Canellis is often ringside for the factions matches on TV. Canellis recently revealed that Impact deal would expire following the shows in Pro Skeeps in New York over the weekend. Five or Slick reported they offered a short-term extension, but there is no word if she's accepted it. It is unclear if Maria was at Sunday's post-rebellion tapings, only the On No More's members face Speedball Mike Bailey and the Motor City Machine Guns. Canales revealed in recent weeks that AW President Tony Khan has reached out to her about being part of the new Ring of Honor and they were just working on a date they could speak. Canales revealed she was open to several roles in Ring of Honor, including talent relations and producing. So Tony Khan is clearly not stopping being busy and being high on stuff. Oh boy. As Impact continues to either have paper appearances, contract endings, but there's also a report that they will have someone be a significant push. At an Impact Wrestling Talents Online for a push after Rebellion happened, Fightful Select reported that Impact had a significant push plan for Steve McLean, and for the summer, those Fightful spoke have those Fightful spoke to have been also been very happy with his performance during the time of the promotion. The former talent joining back in June 2021 being announced he assigned a contract with the promotion. He then quickly entered the X Division and unsuccessfully challenged for the gold at Bound for Glory, turning point and hard to kill. His loss to Trey Michael was also McCown's first defeat in singles action, and since he signed with Impact going 9-0 in one-on-one -on -one matches before the January 2022 pay-per-view. Following that, he unsuccessfully pursued the Ring of Honor World title before he briefly joined Team Impact's war against Honor No More which led to him attacking Rhino. His most recent match was where he fought Jay White and Chris Sabin, but he was defeated. And then he took on Tomori Ishii at Sunday's Impact taping. So they're clearly invested in this guy, and I'm looking forward to what they can bring for him. Let's hope everything turns out well, and he does well, unless something horrible comes out and then everything's ruined. So Fast X, the new Fast and Furious movie. They just started, and he's and the just and Justin Lin, the director of uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, Fast Five, Fast and Furious Six, and F Nine. Yeah, he's left. He's leaving due to creative differences, and will be still remaining on the producer on the films. 
but stating in the statement, he said, with the support of Universal, I made the difficult decision to step back as the director of Fast X while remaining on the project as the producer. He didn't elaborate on his decision to step down. He thanked the actors and stunt team and added on a personal note, as a child of an Asian immigrant, I'm proud to help build the most diverse franchise in movie history. Uh, okay. Production had just begun, but there will be a brief process to find Lynn's replacement. A decision is likely to happen soon as the studio will reportedly already talking to replacement candidates. So... Yeah, that, 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 uh, that ended badly. Yeah. Ooh. So, uh, that happened. So remember Telltale Games, the iconic franchise, the Walking Dead t game series they have? Well, in a documentary celebrating the game's 10th anniversary, as spotted by Eurogamer, the game's original developers revealed that they were at first in talks with Valve about a Left 4 Dead narrative-led spinoff that would lead it, that ultimately led to Walking Dead. When they presented it, a simple prototype was made, but the plans fell through when they were talking with Valve. Only later did Telltale approach the Walking Dead's creator, Robert Kirkman, about setting a game in his universe. The comic book universe, so everything is in the comics. The season designer and direction lead, Jake Roken, then said, the very first Walking Dead prototype which was actually for a different zombie thing that ended up turning into The Walking Dead, the first conversation was actually revealed. It was about, what if we did a narrative side story in the universe of Left 4 Dead? The game, the prototype was completely text-based that presented options for the players to choose instead of seeing them actually play out the game world, as in the final version of Walking Dead. The gameplay saw players attempting to spin plates by looking at a number of characters simultaneously with bad or late decisions causing their, their narratives to go wrong. Thematically, that's a lot closer to what The Walking Dead was about than Left 4 Dead and even a lot of other zombie franchises, so it ended up being a really good fit. I'm really glad that it didn't work out, Robert Kirkman added after about the Left 4 Dead idea. Oh, iconic franchise that almost happened because that didn't happen because Valve was bored. Seriously, they are they ever gonna count Beyond 2? Who knows? So, Warner Brothers at CinemaCon, yeah, CinemaCon was factored a lot into this. Uh, the Flash movie that's coming out next year, unless Ezra Miller's future is destroyed. Uh, <laughs> bad, bad timing. Warner Bros. showed off new footage of The Flash, including Michael Keane's Batman living like a hermit alone in Wayne Manor, complete with long hair and a beard. Oh no, it's, uh... It's, uh... Oh, God. He's Luke, isn't he? In the footage, they see Keaton in his suit and a cowl, and he says, You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Okay. And then I see he he's standing in front of seven iconic Batman suits. Zod also makes an appearance and is seen flying at very high speeds and has a clear face shield due to the difference in the atmosphere. Finally, a glimpse of Keaton's motorcycle is shown, and it appears to be similar to the big one Christian Bale had in the Nolan films. It also looks like it has two wheels in the front versus the one big one that, the blip that Christian Bale had. So, yeah, for a Flash movie, this certainly talks a lot about Batman and General Zod. Okay. 
As that's going on, I'm back to gaming. Dying Lights 2's latest patch includes new game plus, which will significantly alter the gameplay. 1.03 includes dozen changes, including game plus, that will significantly alter the gameplay. 8. Upon completing the story mode of Dying Lights, though not all 500 plus hours of content players can restart the game experience of the game with extra changes. Though Techland remains somewhat vague in its notes, the second player will acknowledge that it's not the player's first time by modifying certain content and adding new and exclusive things to do. New content, completely unavailable in the first playthrough, includes 3 new inhibitors, new platinum objectives for parkour challenges, updated distribution of enemies, for example, volatiles and banshees will now spawn during the night, a new legendary weapon tier, gold encounters, and enemy difficulty that will scale with player level. Across all save files, Techland also fixed a number of bug quests and added a new one called Something Big Has Been Here, which is a new variant of mutated, mutated infected. The developers are surprisingly frank about the other changes, saying plainly that enemies with bows are less annoying now. The bug causing some enemies to become invulnerable to damage has been fixed alongside similar issues. The patch also includes achievement recognition so everything pops as it should. Tackling sets to overall stability has been improved, progression blocking glitches such as certain NPCs have not appearing have been fixed, and yeah yeah yeah, patch notes, patch notes, patch notes. So yeah. The game is turning out pretty well and is shambling its way onto Steam's 25 most played games list and selling more than 5 million copies in its first month. So, props to them on that. So, Variety came out with an exclusive report. Harley Quinn series is getting a new spin-off series. Variety has learned that the new series will, will be titled No Nans. I don't know why, but uh, it will feature a very, very interesting person as the main character. Hell yeah. Yep. Kite Man is the main character. He's gotten so likable with fans that he's getting his own spinoff. Saying, um, the executive vice president of original comedy and adult animation for HBO Max and Adult Swim saying, We love the wild and fun world of Harley Quinn so much so that we just had to make a spinoff and who better center around than the outcast Kite Man. Justin, Patrick, and Dean have created the perfect logic local hangout for Gotham's not so finest at Nonans, where bar patrons could blow off some steam after a long day of mayhem. News of the spinoff came out on SX. SW in March, where Schumacher shared some details about the show being in development during a Warner Brother animation panel. So, basically talking about how Harley Quinn unlocked a world of possibilities involving the iconic heroes and villains of the DC Universe, and exploring the world further with our partners is going to be a lot of fun for him. Plus, after getting dumped by Poison Ivy, the least we could do is give Kite Man his own show. <laughs> Though, didn't Kite Man break up with her at the end of all this? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh, man. Fun. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, anyways, the next big animated, major animated series for Star Wars is Tales of the Jedi. Oh, man. So, there's another anime show, the panel is scheduled for celebration 
anthem for Star Wars went up earlier today and is noted by Gizmodo. Oh, one pound match in an anime series called Tales of the Jedi. Described listed as felonious and attendee, pointing to the series being another show under his purview. The ske- that schedule listing has since been scrubbed from the site, so you know that's going to be pretty uh, crazy. They don't know what it will be, but, but it's... It's unlikely that it's another anime anthology series like Vision. Jedi is a pretty broad concept, meaning the show could take place anywhere in the Star Wars timeline. It could take place in the Old Republic, High Republic, Clone Wars era, or even after the rise of Skywalker, which means I would have to see Rey, and I don't want to. Because I'm not a fan of that character. They, they wasted what could have been an interesting character, and they blew it. Because they wanted to make her super powerful. But it is, it could be a jumping around the timeline. So let me bring about that. The name potentially ports to something perhaps jumping around through the timeline. Star Wars Tales of the Jedi was the title of the Dark Horse comic series that began in 1993. So yes, we're doing another Legends comic adaptation essentially, where we're basically saying, hey, Disney, uh, could you just make an alternate timeline now and just finally just let us have fun again? No, then why? Then get stopped bringing back stuff. But yeah, Tales of the Jedi was a series that was one of the many expanded universe projects talking about the mythical Jedi. Many of the stories were set during the Great Sith War of the Old Republic, involving the fall of Jedi Ulek Kaldroma, the saga of his great love Nomi Sunrider, or the evil Sith Lord Exar Kun. So we could see all them back in canon. Yeah, man. And considering this is also inspiration, that was the direct inspiration for Knights of the Old Republic games, so that tells you all, everything. I'll probably hear more about this later in May, but yeah, it's um, once again Disney does not get this problem, do they? So, to the rejoice of everybody in the world, Bethesda has officially retired their PC game launcher and moved them to Steam. Yes! Finally. Like, oh god. Saying that players will now begin to migrate to migrate their Bethesda library to their Steam accounts and starting May 11, you will no longer be able to play games at Bethesda.net's launcher. Meanwhile, Avatar 2, not the last Airbender series, the blue people thing. <laughs> I never watched it, despite how big it is. Uh, at CinemaCon, they finally have an update. Avatar 2 will be called Avatar The Way of Water. That does sounds terrible. <laughs> James Cameron appeared in a pre-recorded message to express his excitement for the world of the world to see Avatar The Way of Water, or, you know, what happened when the last movie came out, in theaters on December 16, 2022, and teased that the team has set out once again to push the limits of what cinema can do. Yes, like 3D cameras, only for people to eventually get over it and then move on with something else. And... The CinemaCon were also treated to a cheeser trailer of The Way of Water, and it was mostly a mood piece showing off the world in a lot of underwater footage. Jack, Jake Sully says to Nairie that whatever, that no matter where they go or what happens, their family is their fortress. 
The trailer was debated exclusively in theaters for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness on May 6th. Okay. And it won't be released online until a week after. Set more than a decade after the events of the first film, The Way of Water begins to tell the story of the Sully family. They eat the trouble that follows them and the lengths they go to keep each other safe, the battle they fight to stay alive, and the tragedies they endure. Okay. Finally. <laughs> oh, man. So the star, one of the stars of the movie, Zoe Sadella, if I saw, pronounced that wrong, sorry, has seen 20 minutes of the movie, which she said had moved her to tears. Okay. Yeah, I'm not interested in the Avatar, so it's just that thing. So, moving on from now, let's finally end this final article. Speaking of Marvel stuff, Kevin Feige, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is more than 15 years old now. Oh, if you can't believe it, encompassing a wide array of TV shows and movies, and Kevin Feige has said anything about it, it won't be ending anytime soon. Kevin Feige was on hand at Disney's presentation at CinemaCon 2022, where Marvel unveiled new footage of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and other event, among other events. During the show, Kevin Feige said that Marvel's leadership is currently planning their first retreat in three years, which will be used to plot out the next ten years of the MCU. There will be plenty to discuss since there's a new range of heroes such as Natalie Portland's Mighty Thor, the Goddess of Thunder, a whole multiverse to explore. The MC will also dramatically expand into streaming such as Loki WandaVision driving the larger event movies, and we got Agatha Harkins coming back, and yada 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 yada, Captain America and, the, and reincarnated as Sam Wilson, awesome, uh, Falcon. The Winter Soldier finally finding peace with his life, or at least starting to finally put him in it. That he's finally starting to find some peace. So, 10 years. 10 more years we got of this. I hope they have I hope they are able to adapt and plan out things for like Wakanda and everything, considering what happened with Chadwick Bozeman. May he rest in peace. But that's it everybody. We're finally done. Oh man, I'm looking forward to what comes next for the next set of episodes. It's gonna be a fun, wild ride. I hope to do more reviews in the future, but uh, yeah, this is where we're gonna stop at. <sighs> this was Neo Reality Collective. Feel free to check out my other content and search me up on Twitter and follow me on, on social media accounts. Uh, enjoy this last ad break and then tune in for the outro, and we'll see y'all next time. Take care. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa.